All right, Mount Hope, I don't know about you, but I grew up playing uh, a lot of sports, and before uh, games, there would be pregame, you know, pep talks, pump it up, uh, pregame songs. Uh, to get into the Word of God this morning, after seeing and experiencing baptism, uh, worship through song, hearing from God's Word, hearing from C.S. and his wife on the ministry that they're doing, I don't need any more pregame pep talk. Like, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to get in. So we're going to open God's Word. Word, and we're going to dig in. And so even on a morning like this, uh, where we find so much joy, uh, isn't it true, and, 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 and if you're anything like me, you've also found that life can be full of difficulties, that, that it's not long before you're like, man, I wish life came with a helmet and a seatbelt, because there's been difficulties and uh, different things that we experience, much like the life of Joseph. To summarize, here's where we're at in the life of Joseph in this Intended for Good series. He starts out with his parents. He's kind of a spoiled brat, um, grows up in a big family, but a dysfunctional family. His, he gets thrown into the pit by his brothers. His brothers say, uh, we're going to kill him because they're jealous of him and they hate him. But then they find it in their hearts to show him grace. And they just throw him in a pit and sell him into slavery. And so then he ends up at Potiphar's house, sold into the land of Egypt. And uh, he serves there. Potiphar immediately notices the hand of God on the life of Joseph. And he promotes him. And so he is leading uh, Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife then accuses him of assault and back down into prison, Joseph goes. He finds himself in prison, and eventually he will find himself elevated to the palace. But that's not where we are this morning. We're in Genesis chapter 40 where he finds himself in the prison. This has been the trajectory of the life of Joseph. There have been difficulties. It feels like Joseph's life is... Two steps forward, three steps back. That's what Joseph's life feels like so far. He's 28 years old as we find him here in Genesis chapter 40. He's lost his 20s. His life has been turned upside down as he knows it. And he has found that life can be quite difficult. But what is so key to me and what I want to point out before we jump into Genesis 40 is the end of chapter 39 in verse 21. It says this, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Joseph had something to hold on to in the difficulty. And this morning, I want to dig into God's word to dig at the treasure that we might find within it. I, I do not, my goal this morning just to be clear, just to be frank with you guys, I don't want you to walk away this morning and you go to lunch with friends and family and you say, wow, I never could have come up with that on my own. No. 
My goal this morning is that you would be at lunch with friends and family and this week thinking through our time today and to say, wow, it was right there the whole time. And as we dig into God's word, I pray that the treasure from Genesis chapter 40, as we dig in, would, would impact our lives and transform us that even in Joseph's difficult times, he has something to hold on to. So are we there? Genesis chapter 40, verse 1. If you're there, just yell out. I'm there. Okay. I just want to know you're with me. All right. Here we go. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. We immediately meet two people in the story of Joseph that we haven't met before. We meet the cupbearer and the baker. Other translations call him the butler and the baker. I do not want you thinking tuxedo, uh, bow tie, standing by the door, opening the door. No, the cupbearer's job in that time and in that culture would be to taste the drink that was going before the king. Pharaoh was the most powerful man on earth. And so before the drink would get to him, his job was to taste it to make sure that it was good, that it wasn't poisoned by anyone. Anyone want that job? Anyone looking for that on their resume? Nope. And so that was the cupbearer's job. If you remember, that was Nehemiah's job in the book of Nehemiah to the Persian Empire at the time. He was the cupbearer. And we also have the baker who would have been in charge of the king's food, making sure that he was eating and eating good food. So you have two individuals who are now introduced into the story, and they are thrown in prison. We don't know why, but I think we could maybe speculate here for a second that maybe there was a plot on Pharaoh's life and it was exposed, but he doesn't know who did it. And so he's like, I'm putting the two people who were in charge of food and drink, I'm throwing them in prison. Maybe that's what it was. But anyway, they find themselves in prison. Anyone glad that their boss uh, can't just throw them in prison when they're... <laughs> Any bosses in here are like, I wish I could... <laughs> Wish I could do that. And so Joseph is living life at the bottom. He is in the pit, so separated from Pharaoh. And if you know the story, you know he's going to end up in the presence of Pharaoh. How will that happen? How does that happen? God is working out a plan here. And uh, the baker and the butler have now brought one degree of separation from Joseph to Pharaoh in God's perfect plan. Before, you would think, how on earth is Joseph going from the prison to the presence of Pharaoh? And now he's one degree separated because of these two. It's not a coincidence that they find themselves there. Look at the uh, reaction that they have. Look at the reaction that Joseph has in verse 4 with me. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. What I find amazing is that Joseph is in prison. He's at really like the lowest point of his life. What do we find him doing? He's attending them. He's serving 
them. That's what other translations will say, that he served them at the lowest point in Joseph's life, in the prison, he's like, hey, who can I serve? He's looking around at where are the opportunities to serve? He doesn't look at his position of power and say, all right, y'all, you guys are going to serve me. I'm the top dog in this prison, and I'm using that to my advantage. No, he actually uses his leadership and his authority to serve those who are around them. I find that fascinating about Joseph. He serves. Verse, uh, verse 5, that one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. Joseph, I don't know if they're in the chow line in the morning, but they're like going through the breakfast line. And Joseph's like, hey, I noticed you look sad today. Why do you look sad? And they tell him. This is such a window into the heart and life of Joseph that he is in the prison, yet he's looking for those to serve, and he's attentive to the needs and what's going on around him. Could not have Joseph said, you think you're sad? Let me tell you a little bit about my life. Let me tell you what's happened to me. I was... Life was great. Things were heading in an awesome direction. Every, I had an awesome coat. I had a big family. My father loved me. I was his favorite. And then they sold me. They betrayed me. Talk about a moment to being sad. He's like, cupbearer, your job's to sip wine. Like, you don't have it that bad. My life has been really bad. No, he doesn't say that. He doesn't come in with what is sad in his life. No, he's looking at the needs around him and to others. Could I just say just for a moment that that is a great window into his life and a great way for us to, to find and to follow. To even if we find ourselves in uh, moments of life where we are not in the place where we want to be, to know that sometimes the place that we don't want to be is exactly where God needs us to be. Acts chapter 17, verse 26 says, God determines the times and the places in which we live. God determines that. And so we might not be where we want to be, but we are where God needs us to be. Could I speak to the young people for a second? No matter uh, what life has thrown your way already, even at a young age, teenager, we, we get to work with a lot of teenagers and we hear stories of what is happening in their lives. There is depression and loneliness, anxiety at all-time highs. Sometimes the best thing that you can do in the moment where you say, God, I don't know what you're doing, it's to look up and say, who can I serve? It's to look up and say, who can I notice can I get my eyes off of myself and my situation and just see where God might be able to use me? Because I might not be where I want to be, but I'm right where I need to be because that's where God has me. And so what a window into the life of Joseph. He notices that they're sad 
And instead of being filled with bitterness, he shows them love and compassion. We heard the first week of this series that Joseph serves as a type and a shadow of Jesus Christ. Do you remember that? That we talked about that, that, that he's actually uh, pointing to Christ. The whole Bible is about Jesus. That's the amazing news that God has given us. The whole Bible points to Jesus. In the life of Joseph, I want you to think about it as like a movie trailer that's, that's pointing to what is coming. It's pointing to, hey, Jesus is coming, and he's going to be the perfection of all of these things that Joseph shows. It's like a giant billboard on the side of the highway that says, hey, this way, Jesus is coming. Joseph is a type and a shadow of Jesus, his love and his compassion that we see. We talked about the fact that oftentimes we read the story of Joseph and we say, man, I'm Joseph. I've been through some difficult times. And though that may be true and there are places for that, that also we find that truly we are the brothers in the story. We are the ones who have done wrong and need forgiveness of sin. We need compassion shown towards us. And we are vulnerable to the wrath of God because of that sin. And Joseph forgives his brothers. He shows compassion on them when they were in a vulnerable situation. And he is a type and a shadow of Jesus. We see Jesus through Joseph. And through his interaction with the butler and the baker, did you catch a few things in there as Sandra read the passage? That an innocent man comes into our prison to share in our condition. That the innocent man reveals God's message to us. That the innocent man was proven to be true in three days. That the innocent man doesn't look to be served, but to serve. He doesn't ask for pity for his condition, but instead shows compassion on the condition of others. This is the gospel displayed through the life of Joseph. In verse uh, Six, we'll go back to the story. And so when Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with them in custody in the master's house, why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we have had dreams and there's no one to interpret them. Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell them to me. He says, I know the wisdom that's going to come from me is going to be God's wisdom speaking through me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took grapes and I pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you. And please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. And so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews... And here also I have nothing that they should put me into. I've done nothing that they should put me into the pit. 
In ancient times and in cultures, especially the cultures of Egypt and in Babylon, dreams were extremely important. It was viewed as though their pantheon of gods was speaking to them, downloading something to them through their dreams. And so they were taken very, very seriously. Only in these dreams, it is not the gods speaking to them. It is the one true God who speaks to them in this dream, and he gives Joseph the interpretation to tell them. You might have a question to that to say, does God still speak through dreams? And I believe that he does. It's clear throughout scripture that God does speak through dreams. God spoke to the pagan ruler Abimelech in a dream in Genesis 20. He spoke to Jacob in dreams in Genesis 28. Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 2. The Midianite woman in the day of Gideon, Judges chapter 7. Pilate's wife in Matthew chapter 29. There's, there's dreams that God speaks all throughout scripture. But what's interesting is that he speaks uh, just as often to unbelievers, actually more often to unbelievers than to believers. And I think one thing that we can learn from that is that though we look to God's word to be a revelation, we might want dreams to say, God, speak to us in dreams, that God's word ultimately is the highest revelation that we look to, that he does speak through dreams. There's no question as we look through scripture that's true, but we don't look for him to speak to us in a dream. We pursue him, we pursue him through his word, and oftentimes those things do follow, that he speaks to us in that way. And so... It's important that God, although he does speak through dreams, not every dream is a revelation from God, right? Sometimes we might just have eaten something the night before that didn't agree with us. Uh, maybe we just have overactive minds, right? We're busy. We got, we got things going on in life, and it can just be the busyness of our life. That's what Ecclesiastes 5 verse 3 says, for the dreams come with much bus busyness and a fool's voice with many words. And so if you want to look for the voice of God, if you want to look for God to speak to you, then it's right here in the word of God. That's where we look for him to speak to us. And we need to go to the word of God if we need a word from God. We tell that to our students all the time. If you're looking for a word, go to his word. It's amazing to me that Joseph says, hey, tell me the dream. I'll interpret it. Don't you think at this point he would have uh, retired from the dream-telling ministry? I know I would have. Like, hey, guys, I know it sounds, sounds like you got a lot going on there. I'm retired from the dream-telling ministry, took it off my LinkedIn. I, like, closed the LLC. Uh, I'm done. I'm, I'm no longer there. I had a dream once. Didn't go so well for me. No, no, no. He's still confident that God will speak through him even in the midst of prison. He still says, no, I'm going to use my gift. And he doesn't say to the, the butler, the cupbearer, as he tells the dream, hey, let's draw up some paperwork here. Sign on the dotted line that you're going to get me out of here, and then I'll tell you the dream. No, he says, I'm going to serve. I'm going I'm to give where God has given me a gift. I'm going to use that, and I'm going to let you benefit from it. He says, but just don't forget me. When the chief baker, in verse 16, he sees that the interpretation was favorable. He's like, let me in on this action. I want to hear what Joseph has to say to me. It's like when you see a buddy do something first, and you're like, all right, that wasn't that bad. That was good. 
And then it doesn't go well for the chief baker here. Verse 16, when the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is my interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. Oof. I don't know if Pharaoh's gluten-free or what's going on there, but the, the cake baskets on his head. I mean, that sounds good, but the dream be- quickly becomes a nightmare, doesn't it, for the chief baker? Joseph is faithful to both tell the good news and the bad news, right? He's both faithful to tell the good news and the bad news. I I think that's a lesson for us as Christians to say that we love to tell good news, and guess what? We get to tell good news as Christians. We've heard it all this morning. This morning has been filled with good news of the gospel, right? That Jesus has come. That there is hope and there is restoration available because of what Jesus has done. That my sin and your sin has been put on Jesus. And he suffered so that we would not have to. He died the death that we deserved so that we could have the life that he lives. That is really good news. And I hope we tell that news. And Joseph's faithful to give the good news to the cupbearer. But he also gives the bad news to the baker. And there's a part of faithfulness as Christians to give the good news and also to give the bad news. There is bad news. And the bad news is that sin ultimately leads to destruction apart from Christ. That there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. And the good news cannot be given without the bad news. There is both together. There is truth in love for the Christian that needs to be communicated. Mirroring the gospel where we give both. Joseph is faithful to do both. And so verse 20, back to the story on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants. And he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. That's how the chapter ends. Kind of an awkward birthday party for Pharaoh, right? One, one gets restored, one gets killed. And all the while, Joseph is left forgotten. Has God forgotten Joseph in the prison? I, I can imagine that as days went by, every time he would hear the, the keys jingling from the jailer, he's thinking, today's my day. I'm getting out. Every time he heard that gate swing open and close, they're coming for me. And they take someone else. I'm going to be restored. And three days turns into three weeks 
which turns into three months, which turns into two years before he finds himself in chapter 41. Two years. Has God forgotten Joseph? God has another purpose that he is still working out in this story, and he's not done with Joseph. God is not punishing Joseph. He is preparing Joseph. God is not punishing Joseph. He is preparing him. What if Joseph would have gone from the spoiled brat that he was into the presence of Pharaoh? Like if he just kind of catapulted his way there on his talents and his gifts and his abilities and his looks. He's a handsome guy. Ends up in the presence of Pharaoh. He's like, Pharaoh sees in me what my dad saw in me. I'm just kind of talented. I'm favored. And yet God is preparing Joseph in a way that is difficult. And he has him in the prison. He has not forgotten him. What's true is that God is always preparing his people for the next phase of life and ministry. That oftentimes throughout the word of God, we see that suffering is actually a way that God uses to produce character in our lives. And Joseph didn't know all the details, but he knew one thing. He knew that God was with him. What about you? What about you? Are there times in your walk where you have felt forgotten by God? Are there instances where it feels like things are not going the way according to the way you'd planned it, the way you'd hoped, the way you'd drawn it up, and there are difficulties, and it feels like God has been silent to you? Just when the addiction feels like it has been conquered, it rears its ugly head. The cancer that was in remission is now back. Maybe you were dating someone that you thought was the one, and the relationship ends, and there's no prospects for you on the horizon, and you wonder, has God forgotten me? You've been waiting on the Lord for something that feels like forever. And you're saying, God, where are you? You say, I, I've kept my end of the deal, God. What, what about everyone else? When's everyone else going to keep their end of the deal? And, and, and more importantly, most importantly, when are you going to keep your end of the deal? And we find ourselves in a time where we're, we are in the prison of life, feeling like life has just been a roller coaster. How do we deal with setbacks as Christians when we're tempted to believe that God has forgotten us? Well, here's the truth that is shown in the life of Joseph so clearly and so evidently and is what we hold on to today, and that is that God is accomplishing his perfect plan in your life, in my life, in Joseph's life, even despite us not having all of the details. That God is always accomplishing his perfect plan. That from the time that God said to Abraham, I'm going to make a nation out of you and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. That he's been working and weaving and writing a perfect plan 
that has not stopped just because Joseph finds himself in prison. That plan has not been derailed. That plan is moving along. And even in what might feel like punishment to Joseph, it is actually preparation for Joseph. This is what Psalm chapter 18 verse 30 tells us about the plan of God. His way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true and he is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. That no matter all the details of our lives not going according to plan, that there is a perfect plan that God is working out. And that does not mean that God has left us when we find ourselves in moments like Joseph. It does not mean that. We're tempted to believe that that's immediately like God has lost control. He doesn't know what's happening. God's like, no, no, no. I have my hand on every single part of this. And I'm preparing you and I'm doing something in you in the middle of this that is needed for what is next. The great news for Joseph is that although he hasn't had the privilege of reading Genesis 41 yet, he doesn't know Genesis 41 is coming, that there is a Genesis 41. That's the great news for Joseph, is that although he doesn't know the, the whole story, the whole plan, like we get to see today and what we'll see next week, is that there is a plan that exists, and Genesis 41's coming, and there is preparation that God is doing in the midst of that, and he wants to prepare him. He's the same God that worked in the life of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and he is working in the life of Joseph. He has not forgotten him. So we hold on to the fact that God's plan is perfect despite the details being off. What does God promise? And what does God give Joseph in the middle of this? He promises his presence to his people. That, that he says, I'm with you, Joseph, three times in chapter 39. Just in case we missed it once, he's like, I'm going to put it there three times. So that you know that God's hand was all over Joseph. And he gives his pr presence as a promise to Joseph. Say, I'm going to be with you through this. It might not be easy. It might not look good all the time. But my pr presence is with you. Be with me. And Joseph does that. He doesn't lose hope. He doesn't give up. The more I look into the life of Joseph, the more I am blown away by what God has done in this man's life and what we can learn from it. That God promises his presence to his people. Not that everything will work out the way that we want. Not that we'll get the job that we want, the relationship that we want, the house that we want, the life that we want. He promises that he's given himself to us and that his plan is perfect and it's better than our plan. The best place for you is in the center of God's will, even if that means you're in the middle of adversity, even if that means you're in the middle of difficulty. The best place for you is in the center of his will. So what do you do in the meantime? Like Joseph, he finds himself in prison. What does he do? He looks to serve. He looks to bless those around him. He looks to use his gifts to help those. He realizes God's not done with him. 
Yes, I'm in the prison, but God's not done with me. He's still giving me a gift, and I'm going to use it. I'm going to use it. And God speaks through him. He looks. He serves. He helps. What does preparation look like in your life? Do you find yourself in the midst of what Joseph is experiencing in a prison? Do you find yourself this morning doubting God's hand? Maybe you say, God, why are you silent here? Why does it feel like you have forgotten me? That is not a time to run from God. But that is a time to press in to his presence. To say, God, I need more of you. God, I need more of your presence. I don't need less of it. God, I need more of your spirit to help me. Because to be honest, I can't do this on my own. And it's in those moments where we start to, like the Apostle Paul say, his, his grace is made perfect in our weakness. It's demonstrated. When we start to come to the end of ourselves is where God says, I got this. I got this. What does preparation look like in your life? And will you trust your hands into the life of the God with the perfect plan? I'm going to invite the worship team up. To lead us in one last song of worship, but I'm, I'm not, I want to just read one more scripture here. If you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to ask you to turn to Psalm chapter 61. This is how we'll end this morning. Psalm chapter 61. And in verse 1, David writes this as a cry to God. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you. When my heart is faint, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. For you, O oh God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. What happens when life looks like Joseph's life? What happens when life looks like David's life? When inevitably the difficulties of this life show themselves to be strong in your life? We cannot get away from holding on to the perfect plan of God. That, God, you are God and I am not. And I place my life in your hands. I, the details aren't working themselves out the way I wanted, but I trust your plan. God, I need more of your presence here. I need more of your presence. I need more of your spirit. I'm going to seek you, and I won't let go until you bless me. This morning, we remember that God's plan is perfect, and it is moving forward, despite us not having all the details. And that what we need more of is his presence, that God promises his presence with us. 
whether you find yourself in the valley this morning or on the mountaintop, one of the weapons that we have as a Christian is our worship. That's one of the weapons that we have to say, whether I'm here or here, whether life looks like all up and to the right or my life looks like a meme stock, a roller coaster, it's all over the place, that I'm going to worship in the midst of this because my God is good, his plan is perfect, and his presence is what I need. And so we're going to end that way. I want to pray. These altars are open to you this morning. <laughs> Maybe that's you this morning. You say, I just need to get to the feet of Jesus. I need to pray. These altars are open. Someone will pray with you. Let us seek the Lord together and ask him for more of his presence. And then let us worship him. Let's bow our heads in prayer. God, we thank you this morning for your word. We live in a world that is, is uh, it's so hard to find what is true. We hear so many voices telling us this is the right thing, that's the right thing. Even the inner voice that sometimes speak to, speaks to us and tells us what might not necessarily be the best because our hearts can be deceitful at times. God, we thank you for your word that is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Father, this morning we ask you that you would give us more of your presence, that you would speak to us in a way that, in a new way, that we would hear your voice. That we need to more trust, more faith in you, that your plan is perfect and that you are working out the details, that you are not punishing us, but that you are preparing us, God. We need more faith to trust you this morning. Would you fill us with more of your spirit? God, make us desperate to get in your presence. Give us a desperation and a hunger for more of you. God, I pray for those that feel like they are at the end of themselves. May they see that you have been there the whole time, that you have not left them that you are right there and you are welcoming them into your presence, that they might lay their burdens at the foot of the cross and accept the forgiveness and the love and the grace that you have provided for them, that they would stop trying to fight, to live life on their own terms or in their own way, but they would surrender that to you this morning. Help us be more like Joseph. We just give all of this to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing. And these altars are open. Let us seek the Lord this morning.